Time now for King's Talk. Oh, it's squirted between the pads. Where you, the listeners, call in with your comments and questions after every King's game. Tell us what's on your mind. Call us at 877-KINGS-20. That's 877-KINGS-20. We'll also take a look at the stars of the game, game highlights, and the out-of-town scoreboard. It's time for King's Talk, right here on the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. You're listening to King's Talk, coming to you from the Nick Nixon Broadcast Center on the upper concourse of Crypto.com Arena. Final score here in downtown L.A. by way of a shootout, your L.A. Kings 3, the San Jose Sharks 4. Taking your questions and comments about the game, the team, and anything else on your mind, call 877-KINGS-20. That's 877-KINGS-20. Kings picked up a 2-1 win on Saturday night against the New York Rangers. Heading into tonight, uh, this was a game that was meant to be a turning point, an opportunity for the Kings to win two games in a row for the first time since December, uh, an opportunity to perhaps start a new winning streak, perhaps turn a corner and put the struggles of the past behind after that win against the New York Rangers. Uh, they fall to the worst team in the National Hockey League in the shootout. They do pick up a point but uh, give up a two-goal lead in the second period, climb back into the game, uh, score the game, score the game-tying goal late uh, from Drew Doughty, but ultimately unable to score in overtime the last minutes of regulation or in the shootout. And they come away with a loss on a night where uh, other games went their way. Uh, the National Predators picking up a loss to the Florida Panthers, the Golden Knights losing in overtime, the Jets losing to the Bruins. Uh, now the Canucks beat the Blackhawks, so they put a little bit of distance ahead of them, and the Coyotes beat the Penguins, so they climb a little bit closer. But uh, opportunity for the Kings to move slightly ahead in the standings. Um, Matt in Brea, how are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, not great, Matt. Not great. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not great. I was lying, actually, there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I understand, Matt. Hey, Jesse, you know, I'm a season ticket holder. I was I was wondering what I'm spending my money on for these guys to be uh, losing so many games. And uh, I, I agree with you. I thought this would be a turning point in our season, you know, playing one of the worst teams in the league. And then I left early. My brother and I came to this game thinking we would turn it around, and we left early. I'm almost home listening to your commentary on the radio, and I heard, had to hear us lose in a shootout. And I'm a 12-year season ticket holder. Well, Matt, I know how difficult it is to decide to leave a hockey game early. Um, <clears throat> my dad and I almost, ne- almost never left games early, but there were those nights where you just look at the way the game's going and you decide, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to split. I'm going to beat uh, the traffic. And one of the things that I keep trying to remind myself, uh, as a former season ticket member who now works for the team, I haven't paid for a ticket to go to a game in a very long time. And one of the things I try and never lose sight of is the fact that every night there are some 18,000 fans who not just pay for their tickets but also take time out of their lives, arrange for sitters for their kids or take shifts off of work or even if it's just spending the money on gas to come and drive here. L.A. is a big city. Uh, if you live anywhere other than downtown L.A., it takes a while to get here. Uh, if you live in the Valley or Long Beach or Carson or 
Whittier, the San Gabriel Valley, wherever people are coming from. Some people come from as far as Zimi Valley. It takes time and money to get here, and I know how disappointing, Matt, it is when you come out here um, and you see a game like that. So all I can do is say I'm sorry for you, Matt. That's uh, that's that's disappointing, and I, I wish they had picked up two points for you tonight. I am one of those persons that, that has taken and I've invested, you know, lots of money into the team this year, and and I'm hoping for the best. I know we have really good players on the ice. I'm just hoping that the uh, season goes back to what it was when we were, when we were <laughs> on the road. So. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there's not much else we can do other than hope for the best. We can't go out there and take a shift or uh, or jump behind the bench. So, Matt, I appreciate you calling in, and like I said, I'm sorry that they uh, didn't get you two points tonight, but oh, glad that you got home safe. Uh, how's the rain? How's the traffic out there? Thanks, Jesse, man. All right, have a good night, Matt. Uh, Kings lose in the shootout 4-3 to three to the San Jose Sharks. They do pick up a point, so there is that. But as I said, on a night when uh, the Predators, uh, Golden Knights, and uh, Jets all lost, Kings fail to pick up that extra point, fail to win two games in a row for the first time in 2024. Going to go ahead and look at the stars of the game uh, for the San Jose Sharks. Third star, Logan Couture, childhood friend, allegedly, of Drew Doughty. Uh, Logan Couture uh, does not get a point in regulation, um, but does score in the shootout. Second star of the game, also for the San Jose Sharks, goaltender Capo Kakinen. Capo Kakinen stopped 43 of 46 shots, 935 save percentage uh, in 64 minutes, 26 seconds of ice time. Number one star of the game for the San Jose Sharks, Ryan Carpenter. Ryan Carpenter... uh, did have an assist in regulation. Um, so, number one star of the game, Ryan Carpenter for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, for your LA Kings in ice time. Uh, sorry, looking at the Sharks there for a second. <clears throat> for your LA Kings, Drew Doughty led all skaters in ice time. 28 minutes, 16 seconds. Kevin Fiala followed up 23 minutes, 46 seconds. Andre Kopitar, third, 23 minutes, 27 seconds. 877-KINGS-20, 877-KINGS-20. Kings fans, I know you're out there. I know I'm not the only one. I know Matt and I are not the only one uh, who are bummed about that loss. Uh, LA Kings go down 2 to nothing to the Sharks uh, in the second period before Trevor Moore scored to make it 2-1 to for your LA Kings. Moore around one man in, shoots! Tom McClellan reunited Quentin Byfield with Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kempe to start the third period, and they almost instantly connected on a goal. Quentin Byfield scored from right out front. Byfield with it. Byfield along the wall with some nice moves out to England. Right side to Spence, and back in down low. Kempe, a man in front. He center shot. Score! Byfield, and we are tied at two. That tied the game at two. Then in the third period, uh, Justin Bailey, about five minutes after Quentin Byfield tied it at two, Justin Bailey scored to make it three to two for San Jose. And then uh, with about two minutes left in the game on the power play, Drew Doughty scored his 11th goal of the season to tie the game late. It's a six on four advantage to Doughty and off to Fiala. 
In deep it comes, back to Fiala. To Dowdy, a blast! Score! Another power play goal for Drew Dowdy, and it ties the game. That would be the final goal scored by the Kings. The game would go to overtime, and then ultimately a shootout where San Jose would pick up the win 4-3. Pete in Tustin, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for calling in, Pete. How are you doing tonight? Well, uh, better than the team was, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, guess so. I kid. Uh, that first first period was pretty amazing uh, to watch the back-and-forth play from both teams. A uh, lot of action there, even if there weren't any points scored. Um, but my question was, is, uh, given how Edmonton started their season – their loss to the same opponent that we had tonight, them having a change in their um, coaching after a loss to that team, uh, I'm now curious if there's any chance that a change in either team leadership or captaincy uh, might be on the table uh, for the loss against this uh, team tonight. Um, I see that as a fan of uh, Kopitar, but uh, also uh, respectfully um, an admirant of uh, Todd McClellan. Uh, well, Pete, I will say this. <clears throat> Excuse me, hold on. Sorry, I got something stuck in my throat here as the show started. I would be very surprised if the organization opted to seek a change in on-ice leadership. Um, it certainly and I would be, the, be too. Wouldn't be the first time in the history of the game that something like that has happened, but that seems like a more. I don't know why it seems more drastic, but to me it seems like a more drastic move. That seems like an off-season thing. I can't remember a team mid-season changing letter wears. I mean, certainly... it worked for Edmonton though. They certainly turned their season around. Well, they made a personnel change. And, and as I said, I don't know why I see swapping letters as a more drastic move than personnel changes. For some reason, right. I do. As for personnel changes, uh, General Manager Rob Blake spoke to the media recently and was asked point blank yeah. if, if he can, was considering a change behind the bench. He, he, he said declined. No. He said no. Um, yeah. Certainly, I can't think of a time where a general manager in any sport or an athletic director at the collegiate level was ever asked about whether or not they were considering a change like that and admitted that they were. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know how and, much. Well, not only that, but also them to pull a complete 180 after a, I don't know, a night that just happened to not go 100% their way. I mean, scraping a point out of that game was still the upside i would say but geez it, we are needing points more now than ever in the season now that we're out of the playoff uh top three well i'll tell you what pete had the results been reversed between this game and the rangers i think things are very well, different <laughs> if if somehow yeah. the kings had lost to the rangers in a shootout uh after playing a game where they tied the game in the final minute and then beat the Sharks, uh, I think all would be well. But yeah. for it to go the way it did, where they scrape out, they eke out a win against you know the Rangers by scoring two goals, 
and then mm-hmm. you know go down two to nothing against the Sharks. Um, I think I think disappointment is really the only word that can be used. And I was spending a lot of time over the last forty eight hours looking at the schedule and looking back at the last time the Kings had played the Sharks because the last prior to the win in uh, Carolina, I believe the last win for the Kings was December 27th against the San Jose Sharks. And certainly the last time the team has won Mm -hmm. two games in a row uh, involved the Sharks, Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. And the previous time before that also involved the Sharks. So the last time that the Kings won two games in a row that didn't uh, include a win against the Sharks was all the way back to December 5th and 7th at the start of that four-game road trip that ended against the New York team. So um, I think a win tonight, this was not a must-win in my mind, but it was a can't-lose. They avoided that by going to overtime, but um, I'm not sure, Pete. I'm I'm at a loss for words, frankly, even though I'm talking an awful lot. (laughs) And and it was incredibly odd that we won against the Rangers and Carolina, which are – uh, marginally better teams than uh, the Sharks are this season. So, <laughs> yes, marginally, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, it's, listen, it's a, it is a tough patch, and uh, I know, or, or at least I understand that fans are probably tired of hearing uh, people from within the organization saying, you know, you have to stay the course and, and fight out of it, and we're in one, and all the things, but unfortunately, there's just not much else to say. Um so tough patch of ice <laughs> pete i appreciate you calling in we've got another caller on hold so i'm going to let you go but thank you for calling be safe out there julian and whittier are you still with us yes i am thank you so much for taking my my pleasure um, thank you for calling oh yeah it's not uh, i don't know if it's a very happy phone call. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm glad to be here um so the kings go on their road trip and they lose to the new york rangers and then they come back home the other night, and they play amazing hockey and hold the Rangers down to one goal. King scored two. I'm not going to bore everybody, but just listen for a minute. And then they they make a team that's the worst in the league. They make them feel good about the way they play hockey by beating the Kings in overtime. The thing of it is, is that what I'm noticing is that there is – an inconsistency with um, a sense of urgency regarding the Kings players. I don't know if you really need to make any changes or any big changes. Um, How how do you get individual players to, um, and I guess the Dallas Cowboys are in the same category here. Um, How do you get players motivated uh, for games or get them to be consistent? Now, the only thing I want to say is this, is that this is putting the Kings in a position, because I text my brothers and sisters uh, during the game. It's putting the Kings, and I texted this to them, the Kings are putting themselves in a position where they're going to have to get off a string of wins, not ties, wins in order to keep up with an Edmonton Oilers that is playing absolutely hot hockey right now. Um so I just wanted to say that. Thank you so much for taking my call, and I'll listen to your reply off the air. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in, uh, Julian, uh, all the way from Whittier, where I used to live. And, you know, at this point, I am sort of beyond worrying about 
catching the Oilers, which is silly because they both have 53 points, uh, according to the standings I'm looking at. Not sure if they are updated, but I believe they are. And let's be honest, <clears throat> the Oilers went on a 13-game winning streak. Well, they're in the midst of a 13-game winning streak. Um, it's the longest winning streak in the history of Canadian teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, I don't know how many American teams have more than 13 wins, but <clears throat> certainly at some point Edmonton has to lose. And uh, if the Kings are tied with Edmonton in points, um, presumably if the Kings can put together their own winning streak, you know, you would think that regression to the mean would cause Edmonton to lose at least a handful of games. But at this point, Vancouver with 68 points, the Golden Knights with 60 points, and the Kings and Oilers tied at 53 I don't think the Kings can worry about catching or passing anybody right now. Right now, the Kings have to worry about winning two games in a row, um, which should be the bare minimum standard of success for a team that has playoff aspirations. And <clears throat> tonight was a perfect opportunity. Uh, they'd done it two times before. The, the last two times they played the San Jose Sharks, they were able to get two wins in a row. Um, tonight, they couldn't do it. They do pick up a point. They did fight back, but... Um, to your point, Julian, about um, inconsistency and how do you get teams to play with that urgency? I mean, that is the big question. Tonight was a night where they should never have gone down two to nothing. They should have been up two to nothing after that first period. You know, Zach and Zach Dooley and I spoke during the first intermission, <clears throat> and we talked about how badly the Kings were out shooting the Sharks. And Zach was pointing out all the scoring chances they were getting. And I, I can still remember three or four chances in the first period where it wasn't the end of the world. They still outshot them 18-7, to 7, but passes were made when shots maybe should have taken. Shots maybe were taken when passes could have been made. Um, I don't know how you reverse that. I don't know how you fix it. But uh, something's got to change, um, and it's got to change soon. John and Camarillo, are you still there? Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call, Jesse. My pleasure. Thank you for obviously, calling. Obviously, yeah, obviously uh, a rough night. Difficult to see this uh, this stretch for the team. That you can see that the guys are working hard. They're trying to uh, to work through the the kinks here. I wanted to offer one thing that I thought was a bright spot of the evening, and that I thought was the play of Brant Clark. I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on this young kid. I, it seemed like he had great uh, situational awareness. He made some uh, fantastic passes into the crease, and uh, I'm not I, I'm not real familiar with him, um, but I thought he played phenomenal. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, I thought Brant Clark looked like Brant Clark, and um, for anyone who has followed his career, uh, his strengths are well known. He has vision, creativity, puck control, and an offensive mind that is rare. He put up <clears throat> an unbelievable amount of points in the AHL before being recalled. Prior to that, he put up an unbelievable amount of points in the CHL for the Barry Colts, I believe, uh, when he was re sent back down to juniors uh, middle of last season. So Brant Clark putting up points and looking like an offensive dynamo is not um, surprising. Tonight, 31 shot attempts for... 16 against uh, for a Corsi 4 percentage of 65.96. Um, expected uh, goals for and against Brant Clark controlling that by 73.20%. So Brant Clark having a great game. My only concern is that Brant Clark was in the lineup because Matt Roy was out. Um, and Matt Roy, as we found out before the game, was out of the lineup because his wife gave birth to their first child. So 
while Brant Clark looked good and looked like a solid NHL player, um, will Brant Clark be in the lineup again against Buffalo? Will he be in the lineup on that road trip? Um, <clears throat> it's unclear uh, how much playing time Brant Clark will get to build on a performance like that. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. I've got something in my... Th- <clears throat> so sorry to everybody listening. I've had to clear my throat what feels like a dozen times. It can't be fun to listen to. Apologies. Um, but to Julian's point in Whittier, who just called in before you, John, he was talking about a lack of consistency. And if there's no consistency in deployment and in ice time and in pairings, I think it's probably difficult for players to work on that consistency, especially a player like Brant Clark, who is still very, very young um, and still learning his way in the NHL. Um, hard for him to shine too bright if he is constantly being moved in and out of the lineup. Um, so appreciate you uh, shining the light on him and uh, giving me a chance to sing his praises, but that is my take on uh, on Brant Clark. Well, we'll be. I'll be there on uh, on Wednesday to uh, to see uh, Kopi get his uh, his honors that are due him, and uh, hopefully they can turn it around for him. Yeah, they certainly are due him, and he certainly had a wonderful start to the season. Obviously, we'd like to see him get back to that goal scoring streak where uh, he and Trevor Morris seemed like they were trading off the uh, goal scoring lead. By now, uh, Trevor Morris taking a pretty hefty lead. But John in Camarillo, thank you so much for calling in. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll dive into some numbers, maybe take some more of your calls. You're listening to King's Talk on the LA Kings Audio Network here on iHeartRadio. Welcome back, Kings fans. I'm Jesse Cohen. You're listening to King's Talk, coming to you from the Nick Nixon Broadcast Center on the upper concourse of Crypto.com Arena. Final score here in downtown LA by way of a shootout. Your LA Kings 3, the San Jose Sharks 4. <clears throat> Still clearing that throat. Apologies. All three stars of the game coming from San Jose tonight. Uh, and we've had a couple calls. We'd like you to uh, call in now if you're listening, 877-KINGS-20, 877-KINGS-20. I'm not going to cut you off. No topics off, uh, off, off, out of bounds is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm off, trying to think of the Ted Lasso out of bounds phrase, out of touch. That's it. No, no topics out of touch, as they would say on Ted Lasso. Uh, the lines shuffled again tonight. I was just looking at the shift chart trying to see if, Quentin Byfield remained with uh, Adrian Kempe and and uh, Andre Kopitar. Definitely started the third period together, but uh, looking at it right now, um, I thought I saw Fiala and Byfield out there uh, at one point, and looking at this, it looks like, in fact, uh, they were. But the line's getting jumbled, and according to Natural Statric, actually, we'll go check Money Puck uh, for their line combination time on ice. According to Natural Statric, the time on ice for the Kings lines, 10 minutes, 7 seconds for Moore, Deneau, and Fiala. 9 minutes, 33 seconds for Dubois, Kopitar, Kempe. 5 minutes, 13 seconds for Anderson, Dolan, Byfield, and Laferriere. Fiala, Byfield, and Laferriere. 53 seconds, pardon me. Moore, Kopitar, and Kempe, 25 seconds. Um, so, I don't know. I thought I saw uh, Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe together, but... Um, getting conflicting information from the various websites, the track, that sort of thing. Uh, either way, <clears throat> lines juggled uh, again. Kings tie the game late but lose in a shootout. Jacob in Studio City wants to talk about video games. How are you doing tonight, Jake? You know how I'm doing, Jeffy. I know how you're doing. What video and games do you want to talk about, Jacob? NHL, of course. Of course. Um, I just, yeah, you know, I, it's been a while. 
been a while. I don't think I've played one since uh, maybe eleven, maybe maybe ten. You're talking about so the NHL while. series, NHL eleven. Yeah, yeah, EA NHL eleven. I think mm-hmm. the last one I played. Um, I think it's the team was on the cover too, um, or something. Uh, but I won a lot of cups, <laughs> and I did it playing exactly like Kevin Fiala. Just all gas, no brakes, straight ahead. Offense all the way. Okay. That's my comment. Kevin Fiala plays plays <laughs> like I played okay. NHL. All right. Good, good comment. Just like I just, it's, it's very amusing to me, and it's like even though it's frustrating sometimes, just when you see him and there's like three people in front of him, and just you know, he just all he sees is open ice. Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> there was a moment okay. in overtime where he and Byfield were out in front of the net, and he had the puck on his stick and could have dished it to Quentin Byfield for an easy open tap-in. So perhaps at some point it might be helpful to see more than open ice and see teammates. But but I hear what you're saying, and obviously Kevin Fiala is a supremely talented player. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, to that point, I've actually been encouraged by how – much more often he's been willing to shoot the puck, and even though he's a better passer than he is a shooter, I've never seen someone make so many cuts to the middle of the ice, have a lane and a shot, and dish it off to a wing. And he's been doing that a little less lately. Yes, no, certainly tonight he made a number of moves to the net and uh, and pulled three or four guys out of position, beat them, and got his shot off. I mean, it was a, it was <clears throat> a noticeable night for Kevin Fiala. Um, do you have people waiting to talk? Uh, the Kings. Nor can I make a comment. Yeah, you've got all the time in the world, Jacob. Say whatever you want to say. Okay, all right. Because I know you're. I know you already went through the. Are they going to get rid of the coach? Question. I'm not going to ask. Are they going to get rid of the coach? But I am going to tell them, tell you, and everybody listening exactly how they can win uh, a playoff round this year. All right. And that is fire the coach. (laughs) But not the point. The point is less about firing a coach and more about hiring Jake Woodcroft. Yes, I've heard this theory like from Jake you. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but all your fans haven't. Um, sure. The theory is the hockey gods love a karmic beatdown. We've lost to the, we've lost to Jay Woodcroft two years running, right? Yes, we have. They just fired their coach. They're going gangbusters. If we fire McClellan and hire Jay Woodcroft, we are guaranteed to beat the Oilers in the playoffs. Hundred percent guaranteed. There's no other possible option, and Edmonton will burn down. They're gonna the mayor will get assassinated. I don't know if they have a mayor or whatever they do up in Canada, but it'll be bad. And it'll <laughs> let's be, be let's be careful with what we say about all that. No, certainly, certainly, it would be very Oilers esque for them to lose to Jay Woodcroft uh, in the playoffs, no matter who he was coaching. But uh, I think, I think, okay. I think you may be imagining. Uh, a set of circumstances and uh, and a pantheon of hockey deities that uh, may not exist. Unfortunately, are you accusing me of living in a fantasy land? I mean, listen, that's what being a sports fan is all about, right? I mean, I, I, with the NFL, with the NFL weekend, I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, why are they fans of this team or that team? And there have been a couple of catastrophic NBA losses. And every time I hear it, I want to remind people. There's only one team that ever wins every year um, in any sport. The rest of us, the rest of us have to watch our team lose. And obviously, in 2012 and 2014, Kings fans got it got a turn 
to uh, root for the winner. But uh, the rest of the time, uh, yeah, it hasn't been the Kings' year. So uh, trying not to overreact too much. Jacob, thank you for calling in. We do have another caller, though. Drive safe out there. I'll see you around. Jeff in Santa Clarita, how are you doing tonight, Jeff? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm ex. Well, <laughs> not excellent. All things concerned, I'm excellent, but uh, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit glum tonight. I'm not going to lie. I understand. Uh, first, I want to say, you know, thank you for uh, leading King's talk because I love that it's still on, and I also love that it's hosted by someone that was a fan first. Like, uh, I love it. Thank you. Um, it's truly my pleasure, I'll start Jeff. By saying, yeah, I'll start by saying I, I was one of those that was defending P.L. Dubois at the beginning, because I do think Kings fans might have jumped on him a little early. Um, but I, I, I'm starting to see it, I guess. And I know as a Kings employee, you, you probably can't comment on this, but I, I'm with you, Jesse. I, I think face-offs mean everything. And there was a play in the third period where P.L. lost the draw in our own zone, the offensive zone. And the Sharks took it all the way from the offensive zone and scored. So I guess my question is, if, if we are, like, face-off believers, like you and I maybe are, <laughs> yeah. does, does that count? Because like, to me, I felt like the loss of that face-off is the reason that goal went in. Well, I, I, I can't speak for the analytics, excuse me, analytics community, but I've had this conversation so many times over the last month that I think I can approximate what the answer would be. And the answer is simply this. You, okay, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to interrupt my own thought. When I was uh, a fan in the, uh, in, the old, in the olden times, there was a player who used to play for the LA Kings uh, named Yaroslav, Mo- Yaroslav Modri. And uh, <clears throat> my dad and I were convinced we would watch the game and we would be convinced that if he missed a check in the corner or if he failed to clear the puck or if he, you know, got stripped in the neutral zone, whatever it was, 90 seconds could go by. But if the Kings wound up getting scored on, we would always pick on him and we'd go, ah, oh, well, it's Modri's fault. It's because he didn't do this, that that sequence of events unfolded, right? If he had picked up, if he had, you know, finished that check in the corner, there would have been a turnover. If he had checked his man in the neutral zone, if he had done something right, <laughs> uh, the, you know, subsequent actions that followed his play would have gone differently. And I think that the, I think that that way of thinking is probably true and also not true, right? If a guy loses a faceoff uh, and 18 different things happen between him losing the faceoff and the goal being scored, is it his fault? Probably not. But does it set up a sliding doors reality where all those other things don't happen? Absolutely. Like remember that game last year against Vegas, uh, first game of the year, I think, where Sean Dersey passed the puck easily two-thirds of the way up the ice. It was an ill-advised pass. It was a bad pass. But the bad pass became a bad pass so far away from the Kings' net that to suggest that Sean Dersey was at fault for that goal, I don't know how realistic it is. And yet, that was the narrative, still is the narrative to this day, that Sean Dersey threw a pizza up the ice, even though, like I said, it hit, hit the far blue line before being turned over, and then the puck had to go the all the other way back down the ice. So when it comes to Pierre-Luc Dubois, I will say this. Um, Rob Blake mentioned that his 5-on-5 five five per 60 minutes are on pace with where they were prior to them acquiring him. I looked it up. 
I believe it. Um, if you look at his numbers, five on five per sixty, which is I get it. It's two or three degrees of you know of stats, which is where I generally lose interest in talking about stats. But the question then becomes: Well, if he's playing on pace to his career, then why? does it look different here? And if the answer is, well, he's playing on the third line here, not with top line mates, not with, you know, top minutes, not with top power play time. Um, then the question is why not? And that is a question that I don't have the answer to. That's a question for the organization to answer. But I think at this point, it's perfectly fair to have the question asked because the team is, you know, in danger of slipping out of a playoff spot. And uh, at that point, I don't know if that yeah, answered your I mean, question, Jeff, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I guess going back to face-offs, I, I would love, like, to know a, like, kind of a hard stat of, like, if a goal is scored within 15 seconds of a face-off, right. then we claim it on the face-off. Because to me, I think if Dubois wins that face-off, the sharks don't score, you know, and and so that's where like my eyes alone tell me that, uh, you know, I'm gonna maybe blame it on the faceoff, whether right or wrong. I don't, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, and, and going to PL Dubois, like, you know, I I, I love. I think it was Bernstein's comment that was like, you know, are we gonna judge someone on a six-year contract, thirty games in? Uh, and I was, you know, I, I guess that helped me kind of defend him for a while. But I also don't see him helping us those, you know, thirty or forty games, whatever we're into the season. Like I, I don't see him helping. And you know, today I was kind of, I was in the stands and I was thinking, I've never seen him skate at one hundred and ten percent. Like even at a loose puck or, you know, and even skating back to the bench, it just he has kind of a, I, I, I hate to say it, but he has kind of a lazy skating and and a lazy attitude and that doesn't fit with our with our king system <clears throat> well jeff i'm going to pick on your voc- on your choice of uh language there if i can and this is nothing against you this is just something that happens a lot um i see the word attitude used a lot and i don't think it's a fair word because we don't like i saw somebody reference it and i got to tell you when i'm in the locker room which is not a ton but i'm in there every now and then after practices and morning skates, certainly not as much as the players. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois does not have a bad attitude. There have been guys in that locker room in the four or five years that I've been going into the locker room that I have seen that have had, I don't want to say bad attitudes, but that have had attitudes that are not conducive to, you know, a positive group environment, let's say. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois is not one of those guys and I certainly don't think that he doesn't care I don't think that it's laziness Um, I know that that there are players of a certain physical stature over the years who look like you know because they're and this is a a tired trope that I'm trotting out but I I believe it's true there are players like Blake Lazotte who churn their legs unbelievably hard to cover ground and guys like Kopitar Thornton um, you know, uh, was Renberg, Lindros, guys like that, and uh, Dubois. Yes, they don't look like they're trying, but then when you look up, like I said, it's those even strength points per 60. All of a sudden you start realizing he's on pace with Andre Kopitar. I mean, I actually tracked it. The first 21 games, 
Uh, and the second 21 games, I think I might, I think I deleted the uh, the notes because I was going to use them in the last game. But it's something like 11 points, uh, even strength, just even strength points. He had like 11, and I think Kopitar had 11 too. He's not getting power play time. Um, I mean, all the things that people are saying about him are true. Like I said, the question then becomes, uh, if you're going to invest that kind of capital, uh, dra- or, or, or if you're going to invest the kind of, of assets in order to acquire him and then uh, give him a contract, why not play him uh, a certain amount or in certain deployments that matches uh, what you perceive his value to be based on what you paid to get him and what you pay him to play? And I don't have the answers to that, but to me the conversation that ought to be happening is not picking on the player but is questioning why the player is not being placed in a position um, to deliver on the expectations that were created in the fan base based on what it based on the path taken to acquire him and to Bernstein's point it's an eight-year contract so at some point I guess we just have to sort of say well you know roll the dice on this year but this was a trade made for the future and I know it's annoying when people say it's it's for the future because obviously we're paying for tickets in the present well I'm not but as I mentioned to the previous caller I try and remember that people are so separating the present from the future in sports is it's difficult um it's really difficult and i said when the team was on their you know hot streak and they were one of the best teams in the league unfortunately this season is going to be judged by what happens in april not in october not in november not in december not even in january or february what happens in april is going to ultimately determine the success of every move that this franchise has made probably over the last two years and uh Obviously, that's why fans are upset is because it's looking like right now in January, what's happening might jeopardize there being something worth judging in April. But ultimately, ultimately, we have to wait for that judgment. Jeff, appreciate you calling in. We got to hop on to the next caller, but thank you for calling in so much. Stay safe out there in Santa Clarita. Robert in Glendale. How are you doing tonight, Robert? Hi, Jesse. I'm, I'm doing well, recovering from the loss. But yeah, life <laughs> is good. So yeah. Good to hear. Yeah, and, and I wanted to thank you because this is the game that I went to with a few of my friends uh, uh, after winning tickets on this show earlier oh, in the year. And we, we had a great time, so thank you. Well, good. I'm sorry they didn't get two points for you. That's all right. You know, uh, it uh, it was disappointing. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, the first period because you had mentioned on uh, – I was listening to All the King's Men on the way to the game – and you had mentioned admitting to uh, for the Rangers game, feeling like the Rangers game was going to be an inevitable loss, and the Kings pulled that one out and got the win. I felt like the Kings played in the first and parts of the second period as though they felt that tonight was an inevitable win. I that, agree with you, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and so it was almost as if they were waiting for the Sharks to score because when the Sharks scored, it would be fine because it wasn't going to be enough because they're way better than the Sharks and they're going to come back and win 2-1. to one. Um, And so, so they just kind of mosey around and let the Sharks score. And then, oh, wait, the Sharks get a rush and it's not one nothing, it's 2 nothing now, and that wasn't supposed to be part of the plan. And then you lose in the shootout. So that's pretty much what happened to me. 
uh, or from my perspective. Um, and the third goal, too, that the Sharks got was, was just like the second, just off a rush. Oh, they weren't supposed to get that one. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, and, and whereas, you know, it, it, there's gotta be, and I've been on the side of defending, uh, you know, McClellan and defending the effort level of the players. Um, but I saw them live for the first time tonight. And I thought from, from pub drop, there really does need to be a little bit more urgency than that, um, against a team like the Sharks. Um, but I, I guess that's all I have to say. I don't want to go on a rant. But that's just kind of what I felt about the game. Well, if you want to go on a rant, you're certainly welcome to. I'm letting anybody rant about whatever they want tonight. I will say this, though, Robert. I don't remember if I said it on King's Talk or All the King's Men when it happened, but I certainly had conversations about it behind uh, the scenes with coworkers. On the 27th, when the Kings last played the Sharks, uh, they beat them 5-1. to one, But that first period ended with the Sharks up one to nothing, And... The Kings really shouldn't have been down one to nothing at the end of the first period, but it was the Sharks, so they turned it on. They scored five goals. They come away with a 5-1 win, and it was uh, two wins in a row, three wins in four games because they had picked up a win against San Jose. Excuse me, four wins in five games. They had the shootout win against the Seattle Kraken. And so what had been a three-game losing streak, Islanders, Rangers, and Jets, then turned into four wins out of five games. Uh with that Sharks win, but I remember asking a number of people, and like I said, this is where I don't remember if I said it on King's Talk or all the King's Men, but I asked people, is it a good thing or a bad thing that they can get down one to nothing against the Sharks and then very casually turn it on and come back and score five goals and pick up a win in that game? Um, and my thought process at the time was I wasn't sure it was a good thing. I actually was worried that it was a bad thing because at that point I had already sort of pinpointed the December 5th game, the 4-3 overtime win against the Columbus Blue Jackets as the turning point, even though obviously they hadn't begun the seven-game or eight-game unbeat or winless streak that everybody freaked out about. But I had already, as far as I was concerned, identified a shift in the way the team was playing, and I was concerned that that game against the Sharks, that 5-1 win, um, a 5-1 win against the 32nd team in the league, to me, just showed signs of what happened in Columbus, which was they let the opponent get out to a lead in a game that they were dominating and probably shouldn't have seen their opponent get a lead. And because it was the Sharks, they were able to score five times and win. But then the next game was the 3-2 loss to the Knights. The game after that was the 3-2 shootout loss to the Oilers. And then uh, New Year's Eve happened, and we had the 3 three nothing um, shutout to the Leafs. Lost to Detroit, the Capitals, the Lightning, the Panthers, the Wings again, um, and and then <clears throat> Carolina, Dallas, and uh, Nashville and New York before tonight's game against the Sharks. So I hear what you're saying, Robert, and I do wish that they had put up at least a goal or two in the first period. They outshot them. What was it, eighteen to seven? I think something like that um, in that yeah, first those period. Last five minutes of the first were really good. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that, you know, I got a couple comments on social media from people saying, I hope this doesn't turn into one of those games. Those games yeah. being the one where you outplay and dominate your opponent, don't score, and then they get on the board, and suddenly, before you know it, the game's out of hand. That's exactly what this game turned into. Um, and yeah. it did it at a point in the schedule and a point in the year and a point in the sort of 
retention level of the fan base that I really don't, I'm not sure they can afford it. Um, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like where from the position where they were about a month ago, where you're almost looking forward to April, like, Oh, I can't wait for the playoffs. Whereas now it's man, I hope they're there when the time comes, you know? Um, well, listen, Robert, when I was making, so I have this sort of script that I use for the broadcast. You know, I have the pregame show that I have to do, then there's the intermissions, then there's King's Talk, you know, and I've got every break that I do sort of written down and planned out, and some of it's scripted and some of it in parentheses says, you know, rant about the game or talk about the score or whatever. But I'm going to tell you right now, one of the bits in the pregame show, segment two of the pregame show, down at the very bottom, I have uh, line rushes for more. There goes... Uh, intro to the segment, you know, welcome back Kings fans, I'm Jesse Cohen, this is LA Kings Game Night, who's playing tonight, what are the matchups, who's in goal, what are the lineups, quotes about the lineups, familiar faces from the other team, and then down at the very bottom, I have written, interesting out-of-town scores only. Because what I don't want to do is spend a lot of time, especially early in the season, telling you that the New Jersey Devils lost to the Washington Capitals. Right, you don't want to hear that. Sure, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Who cares? Tonight, for the first for the first time, I had three different games written down, um, because suddenly the Kings find themselves in the second wild card spot. Well, yeah. they're in the first wild card spot yeah. now. But right, like all of a sudden now we're scoreboard watching, mm-hmm. and we're just barely past the halfway mark, and that's way earlier in the season than I thought I was going to have to start looking at out of town scores and start incorporating them into the broadcast. It's and, really uh, funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. So, because, well, just earlier today, I was I had my laptop open and my TV open on you know ESPN Plus, flipping through which hockey games I want to watch. Exactly what you're talking about, scoreboard watching for the Kings. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's a thing, and, and I think I said it earlier on Kingstock tonight. I was really hoping tonight that the Kings were going to pick up a win. It would be back to back wins for the first time in a while. And it would give them an opportunity on Wednesday to put together a win streak. Um, what we have now is the opportunity to put together a point streak, which is not nothing. And uh, and they definitely need the points. And they definitely need a win against the Buffalo Sabres. But they cost themselves a chance to make it three wins in a row. And uh, for that, I am very disappointed. Robert, I appreciate you calling in. I appreciate everybody calling in. I'm, I'm vexed, guys. I'm having an existential crisis here. But uh, we're going to take another break. And uh, hopefully my crisis uh, will resolve itself in during the time that the commercials are playing. Uh, when we come back, some final thoughts on the game or your calls. Kings lose by way of a shootout to the San Jose Sharks 4-3. to You're listening to Kings Talk on the LA Kings Audio Network here on iHeartRadio. This is Kings Talk, your post-game reaction to L.A. Kings hockey. Call 877-KINGS-20 on the L.A. Kings iHeart Audio Network. The game. Playing to survive. Aiming to win any way they can. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. You're listening to Kings Talk. That was The Game by Jurassic 5. And I picked that song tonight hoping that we would see a win. And that little sample in there where they say, playing to win no matter how. Again, I thought, I thought what a triumphant song that would be. Trying to change the music a little bit, get a little bit of my fingerprints all over this thing. So uh, I love Jurassic 5. Just wanted to throw that out there. The game's a great song. 
Uh, Kings lose by way of a shootout to the San Jose Sharks, 4-3. to three. Kings did not win by any uh, means necessary. Um, pick up a point, that is something. But uh, as I've been saying all night long in the segments prior to this, Kings are at a place now where they need every point available, and tonight they get one of only two. Uh, goals from Quentin Byfield, Trevor Moore, and Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty scores late in the game to tie it up. Trevor Moore had an unbelievable goal that is becoming a Trevor Moore goal. And I got to tell you, I'm beginning to start trying. I'm, I Listen, anybody who's listened to all the Kings men or Kings talk knows that I spend a lot of time, my free time, sort of pondering uh, pointless hockey questions. But one I was wondering about today is what's the difference between a shooter and a goal scorer? And uh, let me tell you, I'm beginning to believe that Trevor Moore is a goal scorer. Um, he gets a lot of those goals by way of shooting and shooting the puck very nicely. But, uh, man, Trevor Moore finds a way to get the puck in the net, and Quentin Byfield does the same. We were looking at uh, NHL edge stats earlier today because I had Carlin Bathe on the podcast. We were talking about Quentin Byfield's shooting percentage, where his goals are coming from. And if you look up his uh, little goal graph, um, little map of the ice that shows you where all his goals are coming from, it's exactly where he scored from tonight, right out in front of the net. I think he's got uh, 13 or 14 goals now on the season, and I believe 11 or 12 of them have come from directly in front of the net. So goals from Moore, Byfield, and Drew Doughty, three players uh, putting up points this year. Good for them. This is your chance. Call in 877-KINGS-20, 877-KINGS-20. It's about quarter after 11 right now. I am very tired, so looking to wrap this show up, but wanted to give you all a chance to call in. Get those thoughts in. Uh, if you want to go on a rant, I know a couple people have called in tonight and said that they wouldn't. Uh, if you want to, now's your chance. I'm in, I'm in a rant-allowing mood. 877-KINGS-20. 877-KINGS-20. I went ahead and looked at Natural Stat Trick, looked up uh, time on ice for line mates because I couldn't find the numbers on Quentin Byfield, but found him here. Six minutes, 58 seconds with Andre Kopitar. Six minutes, one seconds with Adrian Kempe. 5 minutes, 58 seconds with Alex LaFerrier. 5 minutes, 19 seconds with Jared Anderson-Dolan. So the experiment of Quentin Byfield at center, I suspect, uh, has come to a close, although not through any fault of his own. That line, I thought, looked pretty good tonight. Obviously, it looked great in the previous game. Uh, Dave and Cheryl, are you there? Dave and Cheryl. Yes. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing? Hi, Jesse. We just got home. (laughs) Oh, all right. You were at the game tonight? Yes. Well, I'm sorry you only got to see one point and not two. Uh, yeah, so am I. But <laughs> I'm glad about the one. That's, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. What can we do for you tonight, guys? Uh, well, he might have his own question. My question is, I, what did you think about Spence's game? Because as a goalie mom whose mm-hmm. son now works for the Kings... Um, I didn't think he played that well. Well, first I've got to ask you, who who is your child that works for the Kings? Because I, obviously I work with them. Um, yes, you probably do. Um, <laughs> Corey Whitty. Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, the Dave from Torrance, that would be his father. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, will, I will make a point met, of... You uh, have met of, us before. Yeah. <laughs> I will make a point of... Uh, asking Corey about it tomorrow. Um, what did I think of Spence's oh, yeah. game? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> what did I think of Spence's yeah, game? He wasn't there tonight because um, he was sick. Well, or he, uh, would, or he would have still been there for post game. Yeah. 
So, Jordan Spence, I'm going to be totally honest with you, Cheryl. I didn't notice him a lot tonight, but I think that's probably a good thing. So I'm just basing this on normally raw numbers. What's that? I said normally that's a good thing, but I noticed it. <laughs> well, <laughs> so he was 29 shot attempts for 13 against, uh, which is pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and try and find high danger chances. Maybe that was tilted the other way. 7-4, one against um, on the ice for one goal against, which in a game like this uh, is a shame, but on the ice for two goals, four. So um, was there a certain play that he looked bad on, or was there something that caught your eye about it? Because sometimes a player can have a great game but can make a key key error at a, at a crucial point in the game that costs the team. Was there anything that he did specifically that, uh, that caught your eye? Cheryl, did we lose you? Hello. Hello, Cheryl, can you hear me? Oh, you, right. got, you have Danielle. Yeah, all right. Unfortunately, Cheryl, we're getting a bad signal. It's not coming through, so I'm gonna. you can call back if you like, but uh, unfortunately, uh, we're having a little bit of trouble communicating. Daniel in Simi Valley, how are you doing tonight, Daniel? Oop, Daniel, are you there? Show tonight. I'm here. Oh, how are you doing tonight, Daniel? I'm good. I'm good. It's Danielle. From oh, Danielle. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies, Danielle. It's okay. It's okay. No problem. Thanks for uh, taking my call and thanks for doing the, the show tonight. Listen to you all the time. Well, thank you for calling. I want to talk about the, thank you. I want to talk about the, uh, the three on three, uh, shootout, three on three overtime, you know, the record with two in line, mm-hmm. you know, in the three on three play. Do they work? Is that something that they regularly work on or is it just something that, they get thrown in the mix to do these three-on-threes. Uh, you know what? I actually asked Todd McClellan that very question uh, on the last homestand because I was curious about the same thing. Um, and the answer is sort of what I expected, which is they don't work on it, mainly because you never know when, you know, at the start of a game, you don't know if you're going to need that three-on-three. And then you have limited practice time, limited uh, video coaching time, limited opportunities to do pre-scout and everything. So it's really more of a um, timing and, uh, and, and, and return on investment kind of decision. You know, they just don't have that much time to worry about a situation that may not occur. And unfortunately, this is a season where their record in overtime and shootouts is particularly bad. Um, so I think it's very easy as a fan to point to it and say, well, you're terrible at it, so why don't you work at it? <laughs> but right, right. But I think, you know, it's just one of those things where there's only so much time in the day, and and I don't know that working on it would yield results. The reason I asked, um, I think it was the Edmonton game uh, after Christmas, because they almost scored on the same play against Edmonton three times in a row, and I remember thinking right. that had to have been coached. Because it was the same sort of move yeah. where a defenseman, or, or maybe it wasn't defenseman, it's three on three, but one of the players would find themselves in the high point on the right side, and uh, one of the other skaters would cut to the middle, go straight down the, the crease, and the outside player would find them with a pass to the middle, and it would result in a scoring chance, and they almost scored three times and didn't happen. And so the next day I asked Todd McClellan, is that something that you worked on? And he gave me the answer I just gave you, which is no, they don't work on it, um, because <laughs> it's just not... This is not a prudent use of uh, time, but um, right. but yeah, I wish they had a better record, Danielle. What about 
then what about shootouts? Is that something that they work on? Obviously, taking a one-on-one shot against the goalie would be... They definitely work on that. Work on it. Yeah, they definitely work on shooting one-on-one. They will do... I don't know if it's necessarily um, set aside time in the in the practice, but they're definitely, whether it's downtime or near the end of the practice, or sometimes they're just running drills, they definitely practice one-on-one shots. But we know from listening to Todd McClellan talk about the nine-round shootout win, I think it was against Seattle, where Trevor Lewis got put in and then Carl Grundstrom got put in. Uh, Todd McClellan spoke to the media and told them that it was actually uh, Andre Kobitar's idea to put Trevor Lewis in the shootout because uh, he told Todd McClellan he had some sort of stick handles or dekes or moves or whatever, and then they put him in, he scored, and then the thought process was, well, if Lewis is going to make a move and Grundstrom is a straightforward shooter, then we'll switch it up on the goalie. So that the shootout is definitely on the fly um, based on what we've heard from the coaching staff. And uh, three-on-three overtime, again, based on what Todd McClellan told me when I asked him directly, no, they don't practice it. And I've certainly not seen it uh, in practice when I have attended and watched. So appreciate the call, Danielle. Appreciate the questions. Uh, Dave and Cheryl, you back on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Dave, is that you? Yeah, I'm back. All right, so Dave, I had asked Cheryl before we lost connection uh, if there was anything specifically that stood out to you guys about Spence's game, because looking at the numbers, I thought they looked pretty good, and watching the game, I didn't see him do anything that caught my eye. Um, Well, I just think he he got, like, I don't know the technical terms, because I'm a goalie mom and not a player. Um. (laughs) Uh, he got like pushed off the puck a lot. Or that's he that's a phrase it. for it. Um, sometimes players are easily knocked off the puck, um, and certainly players of a smaller stature are more vulnerable to that sort of thing. But overall, like I said, based on uh, what I saw, um, I think uh, it looks like he had a pretty decent game. And as I said, I didn't see uh, any negatives. And, and this is not me um, backing a player. I just... I didn't notice any strong negatives. But to be fair, I thought this was a game where the team in general played well and still found a way to yeah. lose. So I'm I'm more sort of fo- yeah. focused on that. I agree with that. Well, I mean, I don't think he was like bad, bad or anything like that. I just don't think he was very... Uh, well, I'll ask Corey the next time I see him. <laughs> yeah, you can... Well, I don't know if he even watched it because he's, like I said, he's <laughs> in bed sick. Um, the, uh, my next question is, well... It's not a question, it's an observation. Um, I saw that happen to Dowdy a couple of times. But he would get this look on his face, and he would be, like, determined. And within, like, two seconds after that, he had hit the guy and taken the puck back. Or he made a beeline, and he got it before it got, you know, any harm done or, or something like that. So, but that's Dowdy. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what I was going to say. Is that is definitely Drew Doughty's mo. He is a, a player who plays with emotion and determination, and uh, and when he's at his best, he is uh, he is tough to beat in uh, in effort and execution. Dave and Cheryl, thank you very much for calling in. Got another caller on hold. Rob from Redondo, are you there, Rob? I am, Jesse. How you doing? I'm good, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I wish. Kings could have brought home a win tonight, but yes, same. we were we were at the game, and I noticed uh, some of the in-game changes. Obviously, they put Byfield up on the on the top line again, and it paid off immediately. Um, and I thought some of the defensive changes, and I don't know if you've spoken about this yet because I just started listening. I uh, just got home, and um, 
defensive changes in the last five or six minutes, uh, Clark was with Dowdy, and I don't know if I've ever seen Dowdy playing left side um, specifically. Like, was out there playing the left. It wasn't just you know, Anderson playing the right in the, in the uh, gameplay. But he was actually on the left side, Clark was on the right, and then the other pairing was two lefties out there. It was Gavrikov and England. And I thought it was just an interesting in-game change, line change, that that they put out there. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the past, when they found themselves in situations like this, they have paired Drew Doughty with another offensive-minded defenseman, whether it was Sean Dersey, Brant Clark, Jordan Spence. I thought I saw Doughty and Spence out there at one point tonight, but maybe not. Um, and, it, and I noticed that. I just thought it interesting that Doughty was on the left side. Because he's yeah. usually on the right side on those teams. Yes, well, and that's what I was going to say, is that even when it was Sean, I mean, it was Sean Walker a few years ago, and the other player would ordinarily right. play on the left. I'm not sure if that, I mean, I haven't gone down and talked to Todd McClellan. I don't know if anyone will ask him about it. My hunch, right. just, uh, this is a total shot in the dark guess. My hunch is that because Brant Clark is young, and because Drew right. Doughty is a veteran of so many years, and you have to put one of them on their offside better to put the one with more experience, yeah, was, versatility, and rely and and someone you trust more, but but that is a shot right. in the dark. I don't know that that's the reason. And it wasn't that line change or that combination that I was questioning because you know, it was two offensive guys out there, you right. know, offensive minded defensemen. It was the other one, Gavrikov and England on the right, which I thought was interesting because I I would almost say you would want Gavrikov and Spence or someone who's normally on the right side, but. You know, it's it's nothing happened negatively with those guys out there. It was fun, but I thought it was just an interesting combination to go with at the end of the game. Well, I appreciate you paying attention to it, Robert, because I am endlessly <laughs> obsessed with uh, who shoots left versus right and what side they're on. And going into the game tonight, the one I was obsessed with is why is Alex Laferriere on the left when he's a right shooting yeah. forward, and why is Jared Anderson Dolan on the right when he's a left shooting forward? Uh, Alex Laferriere did switch to the left side in previous matchups when somebody, you know, when Adrian Kempe was on the right and he shoots left and blah, 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 blah. Right. So sometimes the answer when I ask players or coaches is sometimes the answer is it doesn't matter. Other times the answer is, well, certain players have certain preferences. You know, Arthur Cali of Todd McClellan told us likes to play on the right, so they play him on the right. 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 And right. when they switched right. uh, Adrian Kempe down to the second line and he bumped Alex Laferriere to the left, even though Laferriere's a right shot, and Kempe's a, a left shot playing on the right and has played center and left. The answer was, well, Kempe's scored however many goals, so he's the one who stays in the spot he's comfortable in, and the rookie has to adjust. But now we have the opposite of that, Drew Doughty on, you know, on the left yeah. um, and Brandon Clark on the right. It also could have just been them switching around in the middle of the play. Uh, I didn't pay close enough attention to that particular pairing because, uh, as I said, I was just so distraught that this game was looking like yeah, I was going to get away from was, I mean, in our seats tonight, we're on that right side of defense. We were in 104, and it was immediately obvious because it was right in front of us. And I could, you know, you could see who was out there. But um, the other changes that I thought were great were in overtime. I mean, I'm glad that, that Byfield finally got some time. And I thought that was, you know, uh, the three that were out there. Uh, who was it? Byfield? Fiala was or, out there, at least for one shift. In Gavrikov. Yeah. And that was great. I mean, it brought a ton of energy, and it was great to see that change out there. So, anyhow. 
Well, Robert, I appreciate it. Please tell Ryan to let his foot heal, and uh, we will see you around. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right, I will. Right, have a good night, Take Rob. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of King's Talk. Final score tonight at Crypto.com Arena. By way of a shootout, your L.A. Kings 3, the San Jose Sharks 4. L.A. Kings Hockey returns to iHeartRadio Wednesday night as your L.A. Kings take on the Buffalo Sabres at Crypto.com Arena here in downtown L.A. Pre-game show begins at 7 Pacific and Puck Drop is scheduled for 7.30 here on the L.A. Kings Audio Network. You've been listening to L.A. Kings Hockey. For Nick Nixon, Jim Fox, Daryl Evans, Zach Dooley, Carlin Bathe, Matt and Brea, Pete and Tustin, Julian and Whittier, John and Camarillo, Jacob in Studio City, Jeff and Santa Clarita, Robert and Glendale, Dave and Cheryl from Torrance, Danielle in Simi Valley, and Rob in Redondo, our on-site producer, Jake Warner, our network producer, Jeff Cabot. I'm Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a good night. Take care. Bye, Jeff. Sorry. Have a good one. Shoots. Hit the post. Score on the rebound. You've been listening to Kings Talk along the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Follow the Kings all season long wherever you are. Downloading. With the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Download the iHeart app for free. And join us next time for the excitement of LA Kings hockey.